It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Well, good morning. Sadie Reels back in studio with you this morning, and it's a, it's a happy thing to be. It's nice. You know, I always say it's a good place to be in life when you look forward to leaving and you also look forward to coming home, and I, I do both, and I think that's a very blessed place to be. The Hyatt Regency in Orlando was a beautiful hotel, but uh, there are some problems, and I, you know, I don't think I want to start with problems. Okay, I'll come back to that. Let me just say that the CPAC event was uh, very stimulating. I felt the enthusiasm and resolve of the attendees and the speakers was pretty amazing. And I would make the point that it's, uh, I think the left has seen that their attempt to silence uh, and depress and discourage is just not working. It's not working. Somehow the American people are still hearing the truth. It's harder to get, but they're listening and they're hearing it. Uh, so the silencing is not working. The lack of enthusiasm is just, it's just amazing. And it's very measured. It's not silly to me. It's very measured. Understanding the opposition, no, no, we are not. We are not buckling. We are not going to uh, bend to your will. We're just not going to do it. And I, I thought, you know, the two uh, things that the left are calling the big lies, because they love that term, you know, that's the old uh, communist leftist term, uh, they say that uh, election fraud is the big lie, and they also say that, you know, this. Uh, there are so many lies being told about COVID and the shutdowns because their cause is so righteous. Uh, but I have to tell you, both themes were hit hard at this thing without apology. In fact, as a great example, uh, President Donald Trump spoke. I hope you got to hear it. Uh, he spoke on Sunday night, and um, he laid out, I'll just take, we're going to just play a part of it so you can hear it. He talked very clearly and plainly about what happened as a result of the election of 2020. Here's President Donald Trump. People know, I mean, it's being studied, and the level of dishonesty is not to be believed. We have a very sick and corrupt electoral process that must be fixed immediately. This election was rigged. And the Supreme Court and other courts didn't want to do anything about it. If you just take that one element where they didn't go through legislatures, it's illegal. You can't do it. It's in the Constitution. They didn't have the courage, the Supreme Court. They didn't have the courage to act, but instead used process and lack of standing. I was told the President of the United States has no standing. It's my election. It's your election. We have no standing. We had almost 20 
If you think of it, we had almost 20 states go into the Supreme Court so that we didn't have a standing problem. They rejected it. They rejected it. They should be ashamed of themselves for what they've done to our country. They didn't have the guts or the courage to make the right decision. They didn't want to talk about it. You had the case led by the great state of Texas. 18 states went in. You don't have standing. Oh, let's not talk about it. They didn't have the guts to do what should be done. And that's on top of all of the other forms of cheating. But this is the most basic of all. They would have local courts and local politicians change the rules, in some cases, a day or two before the election. This should never be allowed to happen to another presidential candidate or presidential race should never be allowed to happen. Today, I want to outline the steps that we must take to have an election system in this country that is honest, fair, and accurate. We need one election day, not 45, 30. All right, so that was at least uh, two minutes and 42 seconds of his speech. And he also ran through uh, what the gains were for the Republicans. Really amazing. I probably, I remember telling you leading up to the election that the Senate was in trouble because a lot of um, establishment Republicans who may, uh, you know, conservative Republicans can't stand were up for re-election. And we were in danger of losing uh, at least 10 seats, maybe 15, really. And so what happened instead is President Trump uh, went out and stumped for these guys, including Mitch McConnell, which he mentioned, and he did. Mitch McConnell was behind by one point, and after President Trump endorsed and went in and worked for him, he he won by 20. That was just one example. So President Trump saved the bacon, and so did conservatives, of these establishment Republicans. Uh, and yet what did they do? They turned around after the, they did not support. Look what Mitch McConnell did in the Senate uh, when— uh, um, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and others wanted to have an examination of the evidence. Let's just to have a discussion of it. Uh, we object to the results in this moment. Let's uh, separate the chambers and go back and have discussions. And of course, Mitch McConnell then accused President Trump of being responsible for January 6th. And then we know that um, uh, uh, from Nebraska, Ben Sass and others, Mitt, Mitt Romney were horrible about it. They were. Uh, and so President Trump called them out, but I'm calling them out. And I would say this, that going into this meeting at CPAC, there was all this discussion uh, by some, you know, Republican congressman, like um, uh, the the guy from uh, Illinois, my home state. Sorry. He talked about, you know, forming Kinsinger. Thank you, Adam Kinsinger, forming a new branch of the Republican Party. Yada, yada, yada. I hate that term, but you get the point. But what we really learned at CPAC was, you know what? The war between the establishment Republicans and the conservative Republicans, there is no war because the establishment Republicans have been buried. They have no hope. Even Mitch McConnell, uh, in short order, what, in two weeks, came around and said, no, he would, he would support a Trump presidency. He would, uh, after you know, call, uh, claiming Donald Trump for the January 6th uh, incursion of the Capitol. Uh, so, because you know why he sees the handwriting on the wall? Uh, the Mitch McConnells and uh, the Richard Burrs and all the other uh, feckless 
establishment Republicans uh, have no power. Somebody finally uh, got the memo to them that they don't have anyone following them, except in D.C., which is just a world apart. And so I think the fight is over uh, in the party. I think the uh, conservatives um, who are America first have won resoundingly. Uh, so there was a lot of talk about President Trump you know, running in the next election. If you ask me what I think about that, I'm not so sure that's a great idea. I want him to be involved because I want him to endorse people. I'd like for us to get you know, these establishment Republicans out. Yes, I would. I would love to see that ha- purge in both uh, the House and also the Senate because they have done more damage to this country than the, arguably than the Democrats. They've allowed the Democrats to get to this point. Because they've allowed, just like they're doing right now with all these nominations of radical leftists for these various uh, posts, uh, they're voting in favor of them with very little objection because, you know, we are the gentlemen of the Senate. Uh, So that's how this goes, and that's why we're in this mess, and that's why we have uh, so-called conservative uh, Supreme Court justices who have no courage, as President Trump rightly pointed out in that bit of that excerpt that we just heard. But back to CPAC. Um, I... I think I've made the points that I, there's a lot, you know, obviously I could tell you a lot of things. My favorite moment, to be honest with you, uh, was personal to me. Uh, I, I loved my, I loved interviewing the, the Japanese head of CPAC, uh, who was interpreter. That was, that was tremendous fun for me. I used to do that a lot when I traveled internationally. I, I love international travel. I love people from other countries. I love that exchange. And if you didn't hear it, it was really fun. It was the first show last Thursday. Excuse me. <coughs> Here come the allergies. I love it. Uh, you can hear it on the, in the podcast, Sandy Rios in the Morning. If you look for podcasts, you can find that. Uh, but that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Also, the Reagan dinner was very enjoyable. Uh, it was hosted uh, by a local talk show host in Washington. Uh, um, gosh, Larry. Larry. All these names. Um Larry, Larry O'Connor, uh, who those of you in Virginia who are listening certainly know his name, and some of you uh, and WMAL is syndicated at, uh, to some degree. And so Larry was just a really engaging host and a lot of fun. But um, one of my favorite things that that uh, during that event was uh, an interview Mercedes Schlapp did with Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Governor Huckabee. Sarah did most of the talking. She's running for governor in Arkansas. And she and Mercedes kind of um, reminisced on their time in the White House, how they were working in the press office 20 hours a day, many times. They both had small children. They both are followers of Jesus. Mercedes is Catholic, and um, uh, uh, Sarah is a Protestant, but they had a really strong bond. Uh, Sarah told one uh, fun story, because uh, she told about when things, one of the many times when things were really, really, really tough in the White House, you will recall how mocked she was and how hated uh, and how ridiculed she was for everything from her looks. Uh, and yet she was, as you remember, a brilliant press secretary. She was having a bad day. And uh, President Trump was getting ready to do a huge event, and he was getting ready to walk out on the stage. And he came up to Sarah, and he said, Sarah, uh, you know why they're after you, don't you? He said, because you are so good. You are beautiful. Don't let them, don't let them get you down. And now, get back to work. And he went out on the stage, and uh, whatever big, huge thing he was about to do, he did it. But uh, that meant a lot to her, and it just, it was a revealing moment. As I'm sure a lot of people have stories like that about President Trump for all of his um, bravado and his tweets and the so-called name-calling is actually very kind. And that's what she was expressing. 
All right, so uh, one word about the Hyatt Regency. I don't think I had a chance to really tell you. I didn't. I, when we arrived Wednesday night, um, and we're you know it was it was like eight o'clock at night. There weren't that many people. There were people in the hotel lobby when you, but when you went down the convention center where Radio Row and all the television entities were sitting up setting up. Uh, there were not that many people. I would say maybe in this huge, huge uh, room or space, there. if we had 20 people, I'd be surprised, maybe 10 even. And so uh, we were walking down toward there, and the hotel had just, let's just say huge, um, just ridiculous amounts of people patrolling to make sure you had on masks. Uh, and they'd have the you know someone would hold up a banner and they'd have a bucket of masks and they would say you don't have it your your mask is not over your nose put your mask on and then they'd have guards like hired security guards that went around in pairs patrolling it was a kind of it was really uh, oppressive and it was not a great way to start it I have to tell you so we walked down to the uh, the hall where like I said we had to set up the booth and. Not the booth, literally, that's set up. The equipment is there, but we have to set up the banner and just get sorted out to start the next morning. So I'm doing that, and these two guards come walking by and, uh, you know, not kindly say, put on your mask. And I said, well, I, uh, you know, then it was the third time. It was, the, I'd say, yes, yes, and they'd walk off and I'd take it off because I don't, I, I don't like to wear masks, especially when I'm trying to, I'm putting forth physical effort. I don't like to do that. Uh, and I certainly don't want to wear a mask when I'm doing a radio show. And they just would not let it be. There was no one around us. No one within. They were the only people around us. So they come back a third time and bark at me to put on my mask. And I said, I'm working here. I'm working. And I, I don't want to wear a mask right now. And they then they offered to put me in a room, a separate room. They became very threatening. And then my husband, my sweetheart, got a little angry. Um, and then I said to them, I have to do a radio show. I'm, I, I cannot wear a mask in a radio And they insisted that uh, you must wear a mask when you're doing the radio show. And I almost left. I have to tell you, I might not have had it. You might not have had a show on Thursday because I was on the verge of leaving when my sweet husband calmed me down and said, wait, wait, just wait. Just sleep on it. Let's see what happens in the morning. And when we got down the next morning, uh, CPAC had intervened and uh, set up what they called you know, ridiculous barrier was private space. And in the booth, radio booth, we did not have to wear masks. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had a show from CPAC because uh, that was very angering. By the way, Hyatt has done some very bad things since we left, and I have no time to tell you in a minute. That changed my life just from that ultrasound picture. When it comes to choice, the Ministry of Preborn offers the ultimate life-saving choice by providing a free ultrasound. When an abortion-minded woman sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life. I'm going to keep my baby, and I'm going to keep growing, and I'm going to be a great mom. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, and their mission is to help save babies' lives and souls through love and compassion and the message of Jesus Christ. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. This is Pause to Pray. A chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. 
Today, we pray for Jennifer Granholm, the United States Secretary of Energy. She deals with policies regarding our country's energy and nuclear material. Corinthians 9.8 reminds us that the Lord blesses us with resources, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Secretary Granholm as she helps manage our country's energy supplies. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595. If you have a problem with athletes taking a knee to protest the national anthem, you probably will not have a seat on the U.S. Soccer Council. Council member Seth Jan was removed from the U.S. Soccer Federation's Athletes Council. He ruffled feathers because he believes players should stand for the national anthem. Megan Rapino made national headlines when she led the charge to disrespect the flag. Now, she was celebrated in the media because of her opinion, but Mr. Jan has been demonized for his. He also blew a hole in the argument about police brutality. Mr. Jan pointed out that according to the FBI, 95% of deaths in the black community come at the hands of another black person. The U.S. Soccer Council said Mr. Jan's comments violated their policies banning racism and harassment. What's unfortunate is that the Soccer Council cannot handle the truth. You can read more about this story and be sure to download my free podcast at ToddStearns.com. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. We are an oasis of freedom in a nation that's suffering in many parts of the country under the yoke of oppressive lockdowns. We look around in other parts of our country, and in far too many places, we see schools closed, businesses shuttered, and lives destroyed. And while so many governors over the last year have kept locking people down, Florida lifted people up. Florida is leading in protecting our vulnerable residents, saving the economy, and safeguarding the freedom of our people. In Florida, schools are open. Every Floridian has a right to earn a living, and all businesses have a right to operate. So that was Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida speaking at CPAC. So ironic, given what I just told you. So I'm going to finish my story here. So the Height Regency had all these uh, really masked Nazis. It was very oppressive. So the morning that the conference actually started on Thursday morning, well, the conference didn't, but Radio Row was alive and kicking. Uh, I want to explain this better because it's so ludicrous. Uh, There was a corridor, like uh, it's a long, huge hallway, divided in half by a curtain, on one side is television, 
uh, television stations, and on the other side is radio, all these radio stations, which is, of course, where I was, and each booth contains a host. So uh, you have the, the full high curtain behind you separating you from television on the other side, and then in front of the table where you sit to broadcast, there is a, a low... Um, divider with a short curtain, like a four four feet, you know, and w- with posts, so you can picture that. And the only way they could get the masked Nazis to leave us alone was that they negotiated with the hotel to declare the radio space on the other side of that four-foot curtain in front of the uh, the table where we were, put signs on each booth, each section, where each of us were as at labeled it private space. That's what they had to put, a sign that said private space on the outside. So that if you were standing on one side of that little low curtain, you know, uh, walking by, you had to wear a mask because Nazis were after you. But if you were on my side of the curtain, why suddenly COVID could not cross that line. That little four-foot curtain kept out all kinds of germs. It was amazing. And so, thank God, we didn't have to wear them while conducting radio. Otherwise, you would have heard of this kind of in the morning. And uh, you know what? I'm not doing that. Wasn't going to do that. Just uh, makes me mad to even think about what they tried to do. So, um, uh, and so then the, the next few days, like under our door, uh, there were a lot of people, you can imagine at CPAC, that were, didn't not believe in the effectiveness of masks. Uh, and so they put under the door these threatening letters, both Friday and Saturday morning, about how, you know, you must wear a mask, you'll be, you'll be, at, you'll be asked to leave, blah, 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 blah. So um, the, the reason for that, of course, Ron DeSantis, the governor, you heard him. He's, he's been, Florida has been the freest state in the union with a few notable exceptions. South Dakota is probably one of them, but Florida the most. Uh, so the governor's been very clear about not forcing people to do things, but the mayor of Orlando is a, uh, um, let's just say, a very enthusiastic Democrat uh, who was trying to enforce these rules. Uh, and we thought, you know, I have to say that I actually ended up thanking Hyatt when I realized, you know, they they agreed to take this conference on. And it's po- so politically incorrect to have President Trump come and speak, to have those that were like me on, I'm not, they wouldn't think of me, but I'm one of many, on Radio Rose speaking about what I talk about. They agreed to do that, and they knew what they were doing. And I thought, all right, if this is what they have to do, in order to get the uh, mayor to not breathe down their neck, then I think we need to do the best we can to cooperate and not be quite so uh, annoyed and irritated. Uh, but then later, other things happened. It turns out after we left, the Hyatt, uh, they started, the left started a hashtag, something about uh, at boycott, uh, hashtag boycott Hyatt. So Hyatt then turns around and on uh, social media, don't you love social media? They accused CPAC of... A, <laughs> Oh, gosh, this is so bizarre, but this is the left for you. Designing the stage to mimic a Nazi symbol. Yeah, that's what they said that we, CPAC, the design, Match Lab, my friend Matt and all the people CPAC had designed a Nazi symbol for the stage. And they made their, they showed some Nazi uniform and compared it. And uh, this was going around. So uh, Hyatt then said that they had nothing to do with that design, that they had basically brought it to the attention of CPAC, and CPAC assured them that that's not what they had intended. And uh, Matt Matt is uh, very angry with them. He comes out and sort of blasts Hyatt. He said, uh, they buckled to the lies of the cancel culturists on the left. 
And he said that uh, everything, the stage design, everything was thoroughly discussed with Hyatt, and no one ever mentioned anything, or it never occurred to anyone that this looks like some kind of a Nazi emblem or resembled something on a Nazi uh, soldier's uniform. Uh, And so you can find it, I'm sure, if you look for it. I bet that's one thing that you can find on social media. I bet that's not been taken off. So you can find it and see it yourself. So then the Hyatt is complaining that attendees of the conference showed hostility to employees at the hotel over its attempts to enforce the mask policy. I could take my, I'm certainly, uh, I contributed to that, no question about it. And so uh, Hyatt is now dumping on uh, CPAC, blaming them and sort of accusing them of knowingly designing their stage to to replicate some Nazi symbol. It's bizarre and it's horrible. And so uh, that's that's what happened. I wanted you to have the story since I was there and had a front row seat and actually was a participant. Uh, I did thank them. I thanked them when I left. I asked for management. I thanked them for uh, uh, you know agreeing to do this, knowing how difficult it was in that climate. So uh, now uh, the, I guess they decided it, they were a little too kind, so they had to slap... CPAC in a big way. All right, I want to talk about, oh, so I want to say the other thing. Christy Noem, the governor of South Dakota, and you will recall that uh, last uh, July 3rd, excuse me, last July 3rd, Bruce and I drove like hours hiking it across country to make it to South Dakota uh, for that uh, July 3rd uh, celebration at Mount Rushmore with President Trump. It was Really, just amazing. It was jaw-dropping. It was just one of the most beautiful things I've ever attended. And Christy Noem, the governor, former congresswoman and now governor of South Dakota, was there. And she's proved to be a real champion. And I wanted you to hear just a few seconds of what she had to share at CPAC just over the weekend. Let's listen. Now, most governors shut down their states. What followed was record unemployment, businesses closed, most schools were shuttered, and communities suffered and the U.S. economy came to an immediate halt. Now let me be clear, COVID didn't crush the economy. Government crushed the economy. And then, just as quickly, government turned around and held itself out as the savior. And frankly, the Treasury Department can't print money fast enough to keep up with Congress's wish list. But not everyone has followed this path. For those of you who don't know, South Dakota is the only state in America that never ordered a single business or church to close. All right, so that was Governor Kristi Noem of South Dakota. That's great stuff, you know. And by by the way, what I didn't add, Matt uh, Matt, uh, Schlapp, in defending CPAC, uh, to Hyatt Regency, was complaining so much about uh, the masking. Uh, he said, we were following the protocols of your governor, uh, who spoke at the convention. Uh, Pam Bondi was there also. So it's just really, it's a strange times, isn't it? This very strange times. And it does warrant some fight. You have to fight to some extent. You have to figure out where that line is for yourself. Uh, but sometimes there is a line you have to draw in the sand. Um, uh, governor Whitmer is in some trouble. And speaking of governors doing things very poorly, causing hardship loss, heartache for the people of her state, while she and her husband have special privilege, as, we, as, we, as we've already talked about. Well, there's a reporter there who is of, uh, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, 
uh, who happens to live there now, and he has uh, he's going after her. He is suing her for nursing home coronavirus data. It looks as though uh, Governor uh, Whitmer did the same thing that uh, Andrew Cuomo did, for, over which he's in tremendous pro- trouble, that she sent COVID-positive patients to nursing homes and is refusing to turn over the data. And so this particular reporter is uh, suing her for that. He basically said... Um, He said, Whitmer refuses to turn over COVID death data and accurate nursing home numbers to the public all the way to the Supreme Court, madam, he wrote in a tweet. And then he said, the public has a right to know. Above all, the public has a need to know. We shut down the entire economy. We interrupted our children's lives, all in the name of protecting the most vulnerable. We now know this was the institutionalized elderly. If we could not protect them, at the very least, we deserve an explanation from Madam Governor. And so they're calling for a full investigation, so is the legislature, and so she may be in some trouble. I hope she is. She should be, for heaven's sake. That was, of all the things that has ha- have happened this last year over COVID, that to me was the most egregious and the most, that just bring you to tears to think about the helpless elderly sitting behind those glass windows in the nursing homes, unable to get out, unable to be touched and loved by their families, and at the same time having COVID-positive patients return to them to infect them, to allow them. And they had, you know, record numbers of deaths. Uh, I just, I just think, I just think it's horrific. Uh, all right. So D- Governor Whitmer, also, I'll just mention this: her health director has uh, abruptly resigned and received a very big payout and had to sign a non-disclosure uh, fee uh, uh, agreement. And so now this is raising eyebrows, and they're looking into that as well in Michigan. All right. So speaking of. Um, of uh, COVID, before I leave that conversation, Dr. Fauci's at it again because, you know, he is our uh, resident guru on all things COVID. Um, he is the director now, officially, of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and, of course, is whatever his title is with President Joe Biden. And he said, we certainly are taking the New York variant uh, very seriously. We have to really keep an eye on that for its ability to evade both monoclonal antibodies and, to a certain extent, the vaccine-induced antibodies. So it's something we take very, very seriously. So, oh, oh, here's another, here's another iteration. Problem is, Dr. Dave Chosky, New York City Health Commissioner, said in a briefing Thursday, we don't have any evidence at this point that uh, this, uh, this New York variant is what is contributing to the trajectory of cases which we should emphasize, continue to decrease. And that happened, that press conference, right before Dr. Fauci had to jump out and say, oh, we're taking it seriously. We need to keep an eye on it because, you know, we got to keep the fear going, ladies and gentlemen, keep the fear going. Uh, Single mask, double mask, triple mask, uh, never go out, uh, stay in fear because this is a great way uh, to control you. Great way, wonderful way. I just say, be free, ladies and gentlemen, be free. I, I just think, I, I know I, this is wrong. To, I don't really mean to totally spiritualize it, but the principle is true, that those of us that lay down our lives find them, and those that are willing to just hold them freely find their lives. That's, um, you, you can't cling to your life. You are going to die. You are going to die. You have to reckon with that. Those of you that are believers in Christ, I don't understand, honestly, the paralyzing fear of death. I don't understand that. I don't understand it. Uh, If there were leprosy 
if there were polio and I saw all my neighborhood, which I did when I was a kid, see neighborhood kids get it and see them, you know, in lung, you know, these devices. If you could see if people were carrying out in body bags left and right of you, if, you know, whole hosts of your family and friends were dying, I could understand that where you wouldn't really want to take very good care of your children and yourself, but we've never been in that situation. It's like a, a pretend. It's not that some people aren't dying, but it's that the, the proportion is just so exaggerated. And I just, this is why I talk about it so much. It's like, be free. People, be free. There is very little chance of any of you at this point dying of COVID. And for those of you who are older, over 65, you only have like a four, maybe 6% chance. That's not very much. It's not enough to give up your life, to stop going to church for heaven's sake and worshiping freely in this country because you're afraid you're going to die? Really? Uh, the outside chance that you're, it's not like you, if you're on your deathbed, that's different. If you have, you know, I know there are special circumstances, but overall, honestly, I just don't get it. And for those people, your neighbors who are afraid, they don't, if they don't know Jesus, then I understand why they're afraid. They should be afraid of death. They should be afraid of death. If they're not prepared, if they don't know the Savior and the author of all life and don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus, I don't blame them for being afraid. And so then it's on us, is it not, to tell them about the good news and about eternal life? We should have been, and me, we, all, we should have been doing more of that. Instead of getting angry at them wearing masks, we should have had compassion for their fear. because they And maybe their, their fear is justified. It is justified. But for those of you who know Jesus, I don't get it. I really don't get it. All right, so a Judicial Watch now has revealed some new email showing that Dr. Fauci, uh, email from him, uh, from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the National Institutes of Health, uh, cooperating with the Chinese to change and only, uh, you know, deliver information that was signed off by the Chinese and the World Health Organization. It really is egregious uh, doing the China, doing China's bidding. And remember, one of the first things that uh, President Biden has done and Anthony Fauci was crowing about was refunding the World Health Organization, which is uh, controlled by the Chinese. It's um, It's just... It's hard to fathom. You feel incredulous. It's mind-boggling. How can this be? How can this be? But it is. I have so much to say today, so many more things. So uh, we'll take a break, and I'll come back and try to try to ask God to help me figure out what the most important things are to share with you. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Dear American Girl, your 2021 Girl of the Year Kyra Bailey storyline offends me and many other Christian conservatives. You didn't even bother to include a warning to the parents who in the past have trusted you. We won't be buying any of your products until we know that your company remains neutral in the culture war. Please stick to making innocent dolls and books. Lose the political and social statements. Now it's your turn. Send your letter by visiting onemillionmoms.com. Take a time out in the corner. Refuse to allow anything, whether they be relationships, whether they be friends and family members, whether they be a Supreme Court refusing to hear a case, whether they be any election results, no matter what it is, refuse to allow those things to eclipse the preeminence of Christ. 
in your life. The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, weekday afternoons at 5 Central on AFR. The podcast is available anytime at AFR.net. Can I justify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. With Democrat majorities in the House of Representatives and the deciding vote in the U.S. Senate, it is revealing that Nancy Pelosi's first legislative priority is cementing Democratic political power. H.R. 1 has been reintroduced in the House of Representatives. It imposes California-style election rules nationwide and centralizes federal election governance in Washington, D.C. It strips state legislatures of their role in drawing congressional districts and deprives states of their constitutionally mandated conducting of federal elections. The misnamed For the People Act is brazenly unconstitutional, and its ultimate goal is to establish unrivaled national Democrat political control. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with the Life and Liberty Minute. Thomas Jefferson wrote in 1797 that states are not bound by any executive orders from the president that are unconstitutional. Oklahoma is about to pass a law that authorizes the state legislature to ignore any executive order that it determines to be unconstitutional. Oklahoma would be absolutely right to do this. Executive orders are only constitutional if a president uses them to issue directives to the executive branch as to how a law passed by Congress will be implemented. That's fine. The executive branch works for him. But an executive order can never be used to make law since only Congress can do that, and an executive order has no authority at all over a governor or a state legislature. Oklahoma is the Sooner State. Perhaps they're coming to their senses sooner than almost anybody else. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. U.S. Marines are renowned for there being no better friend, no worse enemy. The Biden-Harris administration seems, however, to want foreigners to conclude that, as in the Obama-Biden years, it's better to be America's enemy than its friend. Consider Joe Biden's efforts to undo his predecessor's generally successful Mideast policies. From the get-go, he's acted to undermine two relatively friendly nations in the region, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. The latest blow was a so-called intelligence report asserting the de facto Saudi ruler ordered a political opponent's murder. These are but a few of numerous Biden-Harris initiatives calculated to appease America's principal foe in that part of the world, the terror-sponsoring, nuclear weapons-building, Sharia-supremacist Iranian regime. Folks, punishing our friends and rewarding our enemies assures we'll have a lot fewer friends and a lot more emboldened enemies. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Okay, Sandy Rios back with you. As uh, something... Uh, Really interesting came to my attention yesterday. I'm not quite sure how to characterize this. I, I guess I'm really surprised. I'm honored, and also I feel very um, humbled and also responsible. Okay, so those are the uh, adjectives that come to my mind. Our podcast numbers came out for February, and this is just the number of people that listen to the podcast. It isn't like those of you who go to the the app. 
It's not uh, on Facebook when you listen from there, if some of you do that. This is just the podcast, and our numbers for February uh, more than doubled. Uh, we, uh, we, and this is certainly does not include the broadcast stations, of which there are almost 200. So uh, there are potentially millions of people listening to the 200 stations. This is just the area podcast, and again, not the app, uh, and not not the Facebook uh, access. But we had uh, an average of 700. Well, I don't know if this is an average. Let me see. I want to make sure I say this correctly. 730,482 people listening to the podcast in the month of February, which I think is pretty amazing. It's just the podcast, and we don't really pump it. Uh, and I, I'm, um, I'm really honored about that. And also I feel a little trepidation because the times are so critical. Uh, and so I take so very seriously um, my task with you each morning. And we pray about it, and I go through so much information, and sometimes one of my biggest weaknesses is that I, I try to do too much. I know that. I've always been that way. If I have company, I fix too much food. I've always, you know, if I, I, I just, I kind of overdo. So it's a challenge for me to think through my own clutter, mental clutter, and figure out what I should bring to you. I'm in a constant... Um, a constant state of gleaning and trying to make it uh, as meaningful as possible. In the process of uh, doing an hour show where I'm trying to hurry and get the most important things in is I don't uh, have a chance to really have fun with you. That's something you have uh, when you have a, like when I used to do three-hour talk, I had lots of time. We had a lot of fun. We laughed, and I don't ever, hardly ever laugh. I, I know I hardly ever laugh, so it's pretty it's a pretty much of a drill team, uh, a drill a drill hammer, really, a delivery of news in the mornings. So this is what what I'm leading up to. I'm sort of like reevaluating um, what we're doing and how we're doing it, what we're covering, uh, what we should be and shouldn't be doing. And I would love to hear from you about that because it matters to me what you think. You, um, I don't look. I'm not, I'm not a politician who throws the finger up to the wind and takes a poll, and that's what I do. But I think that it's valuable to know what is beneficial to you and what isn't, what you like and what you don't like. And uh, um, so, what I'm going to ask you to do is, rather than just a, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to ask for Facebook. We still, I don't know how much of that's going to get through. I, I we, I'm going to give you our email address, okay? And um, I want, you know, it, be brutal. If you don't like something, let me know. Uh, let us know. We're going to read this stuff, and uh, we're going to take. We can't take every suggestion, and sometimes we may not agree with you. Uh, that's for sure. But I would really appreciate your input about going forward. What you would like to hear more of, less of, uh, maybe you know, it can be big or small. It could be category. It could be specifics. I I don't care. It's whatever you uh, feel that you'd like to share, and we would we would really appreciate your input. Uh, the address is sandy at afr.net. Sandy at AFR.net. That's the email address. And um, it doesn't come right to me, but I will get it, okay? So, and I won't be answering them. Please uh, understand, I, I can't, I just can't. We don't have the staff to make that happen. Uh, but I will read them. And uh, it's Sandy at AFR.net. And I often respond to your, uh, what you say to me on the air. I, I But I do read almost every single one of them. There are sometimes it slips through when, so many come in, and I can't get that done. Uh, but for the most part, I do read them, and I take what you say to heart. And I pray for you when I read them. Uh, so it's uh, Sandy at—but uh, don't—okay, but do me a favor. For the mo- Please don't send me a lot of prayer requests. 
because then I couldn't keep that promise. I'm praying for you in just in general. With whatever you said, I pray for your lives. I see your occupations sometimes, and you know, and I think about your life. And so, but but this is not the purpose of this. Okay, the purpose of this is for you to help me uh, to figure out what we what works and what doesn't work, what's effective and what isn't effective. Uh, it's, uh, it's again Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy at AFR.net. Okay, so. Um, all right, m- much to tell you. Uh, one of the things that we are struggling with, and now I'm going to speak to the uh, all of you because it's this happening in the culture. This is not going to be a full uh, discussion of this, but we will do that at some point. We have already, but we'll readdress it, and that's critical race theory. You know, critical race theory is a Marxist teaching. It divides people into categories based on race, uh, and it's about oppressors and the oppressed. This is classic Marxism. Uh, the Marxists did this because they wanted to divide people and turn them against each other. They did it with the peasants in Russia. Uh, prior, you know, during the revolution, they would take a, you know, a, a, a village of peasants and divide them and say, well, do you realize that that particular group over there, they have more cattle or they have, uh, you know, and they, these were all white Russians. It had nothing to do with race. Uh, for them, it was class. It was like, well, they have, they have more than you or, you know, and so they would pit them against each other. And um, according to psychologists, as I've read, that the, the poor peasants, they'd always just think of them, think thought of themselves as a community. They'd never thought of each other as, you know, in terms of, you know, except the natural envy of people. They were not thinking of each other in terms of classes. They were just all one group that had been together for, you know, generations and their families' families. And uh, so they created dissent that way. And that is exactly what the Marxists are doing through race in our country. Unfortunately, a lot of uh, 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 a lot of uh, Black Americans are falling for this because uh, the things that you know we it's kind of like this is the way I, I think it's good to think about it. Any of us who are hurt by something, well, I'll, I'll choose this. I'll choose a parent who has a child that um, has, let's say, okay, I'm just going to randomly choose this has some sort of a disability. Now, the parent can say, uh, oh, John, oh, John, I'm so sorry. Oh, man, I know every day. And just the way people talk to you, oh, I've heard, oh, honey, oh, oh, that, and then look at that, and look at that. Uh, so the mother can uh, um, feed into John's consciousness of his disability and make him even more disabled by constantly repeating uh, the, the disadvantage that he has and pointing to the way people are responding to him. Or the mother can have a different approach, and she can see John's disability, but she can encourage him uh, that he can do this and he can do that and look at this and look at that and give him a totally different perspective. I think it's the same thing with this particular thing that the Marxists have chosen. It's, uh, it's race. It's uh, when anytime, or like if you've been mistreated in any way and someone comes up to you and says, I can't believe they did that to you. I can't believe it. Well, that was just terrible. And you have that conversation and part of you likes it because you like to be uh, encouraged about, you know, uh, something that was done to you. You like to be affirmed. Uh, but sometimes it can get unhealthy and go on tilt. And uh, there can be an encouragement to what you should do something about. You should go over there and you should, you know, just in your own personal life, it has nothing to do with color. It's human nature. And so this is what I see happening. There is this, uh, this sore place in our culture. It's a wound, a deep wound. 
And uh, the, the, the Marxists, the communists, love to take a stick and poke at that wound and make it bleed. And so they love stirring it up because what they do is they take power after they have turned people against each other and they're fighting and arguing and this is their delight. This is their delight because that's when they come in and take power. And they don't care if you're black or white. And trust me, the Marxists are black and white. And they're brown. It isn't about color. It's about domination and control. And that is critical race theory. Uh, and I, I will talk about it more at some other time. And that's why what I'm going to share with you is pretty egregious to me. Uh, I've talked to you about uh, the Southern Baptist Church. I think the Southern Baptists are wonderful. I was raised Southern Baptist. Um, I love my pastors and friends and every, you know, I, there's so many good things, missions. So this is not a condemnation of Southern Baptists, but it is a condemnation of some of the leaders. I have a problem. J.D. Greer, who's the Southern Baptist president, was speaking just a few weeks ago at a meeting of some of the leaders. And he said, first of all, he said what I thought was some good things I have no problem with. He said, we are not at our core a political activism group. That's for sure. No, No church should be. He said, we love our country, but God has not called us to save America. He's called us to build the church and spread the gospel. And that is our primary mission. And to that, I say, amen. And so he goes on to say, if we are going to be a gospel above all people, it means that we will be a church that engages all the peoples in America, not just one kind. And that's hard. Bringing together people of different backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities into the church creates challenges. Anybody that says it, it's not hasn't actually done it. I agree with him, and I have been in multicultural churches. One of the most notably was Moody Church for years in Chicago with Dr. Lutzer. I just, you should go to communion at Moody Church. You got maybe 50 nationalities of people standing in line to go forward of every race and color. It's, it's thrilling. You have baptisms every week for people's testimonies from all over the world. I, yeah, so I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I love it. And when it's, uh, when it's done, but not every not every church can do that. Um, some of the inner city black churches can't have a lot of don't have a lot of white people, hardly any white people. If we're going to talk about black and white, because we have to, you know, because that's what the Marxists want. And uh, uh, and so there are a lot of white uh, communities that don't have a lot of black people, so they don't have it mixed up either. But I'm I I swear I've never I haven't been in a church. I can't remember ever actually being in a church where. Uh, people of other colors weren't welcome. Now, when I was growing up, it would have been awkward. That's that's true, culturally. But so much has changed. I just don't get this conversation. But let me go on. Uh, Greer went on to say, Southern Baptists have always come together to send out missionaries and train leaders. And he said the denomination spent years fighting to get its theology right. Well, that's all. that's true. I remember some of those fights. Uh, but he said, but its culture, he said, has failed at times to reflect that theology and was more shaped by Southern or conservative culture than the gospel. I actually think that's true, too. That was when I left the Southern Baptist Church living in Chicago. I felt that Southern culture was the predominant goal and not and not uh, just the culture at large. And it was like a, a kind of a conclave, a, a set-apart, a Southerners. Okay, I'm probably offending some of you. I don't mean to. I'm just telling you this, this was my diagnosis. I still love my church and love the people, but this is what I saw because I was not a Southerner. Uh, but he's not talking about that. Uh, so I'm, let me go on and tell you. He says that culture, say, let me repeat the phrase, 
uh, its culture for the SBC has failed at times to reflect that theology, meaning good, strong theology, and was more shaped by Southern or conservative culture than the gospel. That culture has often made life difficult for people of color while allowing racists to be at home. What church is he talking about? I don't understand this. Russell Moore is talking about that, too, about closet racists in the Southern Baptist Church. You, you all know that the, the Southern Baptists split with the Northern Baptists during the Civil War over the issue of slavery. It was an issue. And the Southern culture, Southern Baptists embraced slavery, and the Northern Baptists didn't. That's the, the origins. But later on, and I believe this was, I wish I, it was the 70s or 80s, where there was a repentance in that uh, convention over racism. A formal repentance, as though I don't know, you know, how effective group repentance is, but they did do that. And from that time, I, you know, I just don't know what they're talking about. Closet racists? I'll tell you what they're talking about. Russell Moore's definition of that is people that support President Trump, uh, people that went to the Capitol on January 6th. He's all in with the description of the left on uh, these uh, white Christian nationalists slash racists. It's just bizarre to me. I, I have a problem with this. I have a huge problem with this. And so he goes on to say, we should mourn when closet racists and neo-Confederates feel more at home in our churches than do many of our people of color. The reality is that if we in the Southern Baptist Convention had showed as much sorrow for the painful legacy that racism and discrimination has left as we have passion to decry critical race theory, we probably wouldn't be in this mess. What is he talking about? I don't think the gospel requires us to fester on past sin, especially sins of our fathers. We recognize it, and we change it, and we change course, and we embrace and we move forward. They're talking about feeling perpetually guilty and hating yourself for the past. That's not the gospel. And critical race theory, by the way, is the future. It's the horrendous future of Marxism. And the president of the Southern Baptist Convention is saying that. That is distressing to me. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.